Let's take the Word of God, and if you please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts and chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin council with an opportunity to respond to the accusations against him that he had spoken blasphemous words against God, against Moses, against the law, and against the temple. And Stephen here preaches, and I use the word preaches, I don't know what was the intonation, I'm I'm sure he was just talking, but it seems like a good sermon. (laughs) But here he speaks, and he, if you would, preaches through the history of the nation of Israel by highlighting three prominent figures. Uh, He first of all, from verse 2 down to verse 8, he speaks of Abraham who received the covenant. Then he goes on from verse 9 down to about verse 16. He speaks of Joseph who was envied by the patriarchs, yet in the end he saved those same patriarchs. And then finally, the section that we have not covered thus far, which is the largest section in the sermon, he deals with Moses. And we begin reading in verse 17, having dealt with the first two parts, the Bible says, but when the time of the promise drew nigh. Now let's pause right there. What promise? Remember, this is after 400 years of Egyptian bondage, God is going to raise up a leader in Moses to bring the children out of Israel, uh, of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. What promise is he referring to? He mentioned that earlier. If you go back, In chapter 7 to verse 6, notice, And God spake on this wise, He was speaking to Moses on this wise, that His seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage, and entreat them evil four hundred years. So that was Joseph and the patriarchs going into Egypt. God told that to Moses in Genesis 15. Then in verse 7, And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God, and after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place. So God told Abraham, gave to Abraham a prophecy concerning his seed, that his seed would go into a strange land, that they would abide there for 400 years, and then God would bring them out of that bondage. And so when we come to Moses in verse 17, and we read, when the time of the promise drew nigh, we're talking about here what he says, which God had sworn to Abraham. And you could go back to Genesis 15 and look at that exact promise. The people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose, which knew not Joseph. The same dealt Uh, dealt subtly with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers, so that they cast out their younger children to the end they might not live. In which time Moses was born, and was exceeding fair, and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for his own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and in deeds, And when he was full uh, full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. 
and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. And he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove, and would have set them at once again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight, and as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled, and durst not behold. Then said the Lord unto him, Put off thy shoes from from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and am come down to deliver them, and now come, I will send thee into Egypt. This Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out. After that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we would not what is become of him. I would like to bring your attention to verse 35 of chapter 7, where the Bible says, This Moses whom they refuse. Now, who's the they? Stephen is preaching throughout this chapter. Remember what he's been saying? Our fathers. So he's speaking of the patriarchs, the children of Israel. Notice this Moses whom they refuse, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer. I would like to preach a message this morning that I've entitled, Refusing a Deliverer. Refusing a Deliverer. The Bible says in our text that when Moses came, the, the patriarchs, or the children of Israel, refused him. One who, if you would made himself by God, was sent of God to be a ruler and a deliverer. Now we've looked at Abraham and we saw that God gave the covenant to Abraham. That in thy seed 
shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then we moved on to Joseph and we see that uh, Stephen preaches about Joseph because there is a connection between Joseph and the Lord Jesus Christ and that uh, the patriarchs envied Joseph because, if you would, he was a unique character. He had a message from God and he relayed that message to those patriarchs and they did not like it and they envied him. In the same manner, Jesus Christ was a unique person. Indeed, he was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. And he came with a message, and the Bible says they envied him and they crucified him. But now we come to Moses and this great section about Moses that goes from the time that they, uh, from the exodus out of Egypt into the promised land, if you would, the wilderness wanderings, and eventually he goes on to speak of David and Solomon uh, by the end of the message. But here, uh, why does uh, Stephen bring up Moses? We've asked the question, why did Stephen bring up Abraham? Why did he bring up Joseph? And why now does he bring up Moses? Now we know why he brings them up, because by the end of this message, we look at the conclusion, he's going to look at the, uh, the Sanhedrin council, and he's going to say to them, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, As your fathers did, so do ye. And so basically the conclusion is, you're just like your fathers. That old sin nature, the natural tendency, the natural inclination of man is true throughout Israel's history as it is true today. But there's three things that I think we, uh, by way of emphasis, there are three points of emphasis with regard to Moses that Stephen expounds upon in this sermon that I would like to bring out as we think about this question, why does Stephen bring up Moses? And the first thing is, we note, is the revelation of God. As we think about the Sanhedrin Council, they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly, some of them were part of the whole movement that got the Lord Jesus Christ crucified. They assembled people together and they said, Hey, uh, shall crucify Him, crucify Him. And certainly, some of them uh, are, are part of that group. Remember, they had said, uh, His blood be upon us and upon our children. They knew what they were doing. And they went ahead and they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. And and here as he's looking to them, we ask ourselves this question, why would they reject the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, Why does the world today reject the Lord Jesus Christ? And here Stephen, as he deals with Moses, he has three points of emphasis. And the first thing that he clearly emphasizes throughout those verses is the revelation of God. Now notice as we look throughout the scriptures, he makes it clear that when Moses spoke and when Moses was used as the deliverer, he did so upon the basis of the revelation of God. Now, this is important because Stephen, as he's preaching, he's trying to communicate to the Sanhedrin council that Jesus Christ is not anything new. I'm not preaching some new doctrine Uh, As a matter of fact, the reason why he goes through the entire history with Abraham, Joseph, and Moses is to show them that Jesus Christ indeed is the fulfillment of all of those prophecies. It is who Joseph spoke about. It is who Moses spoke about. And it is who Abraham believed in. 
And so the revelation of God is the first point of emphasis as it pertains to Moses. You see, as we come to verse 17, notice here, he's about to get into Moses, but he says in verse 17, But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. So here we see that God spoke to Abraham concerning things to come. That's what he did. And when we read about Moses... He's showing them, now when Moses came on the scene, you know that he was rejected. Uh, he, the, the people in Israel did not understand who he was, yet it had already been revealed that they would be delivered. By what? By revelation of God. If we go back earlier in the sermon, remember concerning Abraham what Stephen said in verse 2? Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. And he goes on to say, verse 3, And said unto him. And so here when Stephen, as he's presenting the sermon, he is saying that what happened with Moses and the children of Israel being delivered out of Egyptian bondage, what was that based on, that deliverance? What was it based on? It was based on the revelation of God. Therefore, those who refused Moses and rejected Moses and disobeyed Moses rejected and refused the revelation of God. They had it. They knew what God said to Abraham in Genesis 15. They knew uh, that they would be delivered out of that bondage and they would go into this land that was promised to the seed. And indeed, we saw in verse 6 and 7 that uh, God communicated to Abraham the two part of that history. That first of all, they would go into Egypt and then they would come out. So Moses is the fulfillment, if you would, of what God said to Abraham concerning things to come. As we continue in this chapter, we see also that God spoke to Moses about the deliverance of the children of Israel. Notice in verse 30 of chapter 7. The Bible says, And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the side, and as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him. And so we ask ourselves here, what is it that moved Moses to go back into Egypt and to lead the children of Israel out of that Egyptian bondage that was based on the revelation of God? God appeared to Abraham and told it what was going to happen. God now appears to Moses and tells what is going to happen now. I will deliver them. And Moses, I'm going to send you. So God spoke to Abraham about things to come. God spoke to Moses about the deliverance of the children of Israel. But also, God spoke to Moses and gave Moses the lively oracles. If you go down to verse 38... Talking about Moses, the Bible says this is he, Moses, that was in the church in the wilderness, that the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. So God at Mount Sinai spoke to Moses, wrote on the table of stone, and gave those oracles to Moses. God spoke. God revealed himself to man. He revealed himself to Moses. He revealed himself to Abraham. He also revealed himself to the children of Israel by the oracles that he gave unto Moses so that the people would know this is God speaking. Remember before the oracles were given 
In Exodus chapter 19, Moses says, go out and cleanse yourselves and make a promise. And they come back, they cleanse themselves, and they say, whatever the Lord says uh, to do, we will do. Right? Exodus 19. And then Exodus 20 comes, and the oracles are given, and then they hear of those oracles, and they said, ah, no, we don't want God to speak to us anymore. Moses, you speak to us, but uh, this is too hard for us to hear. Now, we ask ourselves here, because it's important here, what was so special about the nation of Israel? What made them unique and separate from all the other nations? Now, if you read in Romans chapter 2, this is what the typical Jew was boast himself in. He says, well, we have Abraham as our father. Uh, we have the patriarchs. They would also say, we, we have the circumcision. That makes us different than all the other nations. And they would say, and we have the oracles of God. But notice here, as Stephen presents and talks about Moses receiving the oracles of God in verse 39, right after that he says, to whom our fathers would not obey. So they received the oracles of God by revelation of God, but yet they did not obey them. And here Stephen is seeking to show the Sanhedrin council that yes, it is good for you to rejoice in the fact that you have the oracles of God and that you are indeed a special people because God gave it to you as a nation. But you're missing what these oracles communicate. You're missing the revelation of God just like the children of Israel missed what God had so told to Abraham and then told to Moses to do, and when God brought Moses to them, they rejected him. If you go with me to Romans chapter 3, let's go back. Uh, in Romans, uh, I guess uh, you could go past the book of Acts. It's Acts and then the book of Romans. So in Romans chapter 3, in chapter 2, uh, Paul addresses a number of the excuses that they would make. Well, salvation is for the Gentiles, not for us, because see, we... Uh, have the circumcision. We have uh, the oracles of God. Uh, we have a heritage that the Gentiles do not have. But notice what he says in chapter 3 in verse 1. He, sh he shows them that salvation is not found in any of those things. And so he says in chapter 3 verse 1, What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way. Chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. What made Israel so uh, peculiar? What made them so unique? It is the fact that they received or that they were committed the oracles of God. If you go over to chapter 9 of, chap of Romans, Romans chapter 9, he speaks again about the nation of Israel and Paul's heart and desire is that they might be saved. And right now, as a nation as a whole, they were abiding in unbelief. But notice what he says in chapter 9. As he has a desire to see them saved, he says, verse 3, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, Whose are the fathers, and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Now notice here, they were a unique people. They had the oracles of God. They had this heritage. They had the circumcision. They had the fathers. They had all those things. But they were missing that the oracles of God were communicating specifically and revealing 
the Lord Jesus Christ. If we go over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Again, 2 Peter chapter 1, another portion of Scripture. 2 Peter 1, notice with me verse 16. The Bible says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So, the whole idea of the Lord Jesus Christ and in coming and being the redemption of man is not some cunningly devised fable. It is based on the revelation of God. He goes on to say, verse 17, For he, rece for he received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That was at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18, And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. And so uh, often this is ascribed to the Mount of Transfiguration there. Verse 19, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now think about it. He just said that God's voice came at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And Peter says, I was a witness. I was there at the Mount of Transfiguration when the Lord spoke. But yet, we have a more sure word of prophecy. There is something more certain and more sure than the audible voice of God coming from heaven. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so he says, the faith that we have, understand, it is based more than just on hearing the voice of God from heaven on one occasion, or uh, to hear the voice of God at this mount when we uh, saw His glory. Uh, no, no, no. We have a more short, short word of prophecy because we know that the prophets of old, and you could include Abraham, you could include Moses, you could include Joseph, and all those who prophesied about the Lord Jesus Christ, they uh, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so, there's an emphasis on the revelation of God. As we go back to Acts chapter 7, He is showing us that God spoke to Abraham concerning things to come. He spoke to Moses about the deliverance of the children of Israel. He spoke to Moses and gave the lively oracles. But also, God spoke to Moses about the tabernacle too. Notice Acts 7 verse 44. And our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. Now, notice, you see what he is saying here? He's not just saying that Moses instituted the tabernacle. What he is saying is that Moses instituted the tabernacle based upon what God told him. So there's an emphasis on the revelation of God. You see, they refused, I'm talking about the Sanhedrin council there, and the uh, children of Israel during the time of Moses, but the Sanhedrin, they refused to believe in Christ ultimately because of what? I would say this, because of their rejection of the Holy Scriptures. 
Well, so how is that possible? They had the Holy Scriptures. They did. They even gloried in those. But we would put it this way. They did not understand. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you look at verse 25, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. So God spoke to Moses about the tabernacle, about all those things, but yet here we find that they did not believe in Christ because they rejected the Holy Scriptures. They deemed their tradition, their own religion, to be higher, and they elevated it above the revelation of God. Now why is that so important? Now, why is Stephen going through all the trouble to go through all the history of Israel? Uh, certainly there's a purpose, there's a, there's a reason for that. Not only do we see the trouble at that time with the Sanhedrin Council, but we also see at the same time the trouble with our world today. What is the trouble with the world today? It is quite simple. It is its rejection of the revelation of God. That's the trouble with the world. You see, uh, there is a, uh, even, uh, what is the trouble we could say with churches? What is the trouble with churches? It is uh, that it is rejecting the revelation of God. It has become interested in many things apart from the revelation of God. Indeed, they stay away from many subjects. They stay away from uh, the, some clear teachings in the Word of God. Why? Because they, uh, they, they want to, uh, the, if you would, help people, make people feel comfortable, and as a result, they've forsaken the revelation of God. When you come to the conclusion... He says, you stiff-necked, in verse 51, uncircumcised and hardened ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. And then he refers back to the prophets whom they have persecuted. Now, let me ask this question here, and it's a rhetorical question, you'll have to answer that. But what were the prophets communicating? God's message. What indeed were the people rejecting? Not just the prophet, but the revelation of God. So we see here that Stephen places an emphasis on the revelation of God. But then secondly, he also places an emphasis on the role of Moses. Throughout this chapter, what is Moses' role as we read it? Well... Moses' role, quite simply, is that Moses was God's messenger. Um, Moses was, as we read it in verse 35, was sent of God to be a ruler and a deliverer. We read here, for example, in verse, uh, if we go back to verse 17 and 18, or, excuse me, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 17 and 18. Moses gave a message to the nation of Israel. And notice what he says. If we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, notice with me verse 15. He says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. 
So Moses spoke, right? He was a messenger and he announced that a prophet is coming just like unto him. Well, what was Moses? He was, remember, a ruler and a deliverer. So like unto him. He's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. A prophet would arise and he is uh, telling them to hearken unto him. Notice verse uh, 17. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Now notice here, Moses says, verse 17, The Lord said unto me. So when Moses said, God's going to raise a prophet among you, he goes on and tells them, Let me tell you where I heard that. I heard that from God himself. God told me that, and what I have spoken is what God has told me. Go down to verse 21. If thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath, uh, uh, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. And so uh, the question would be, well, how do we know whether a prophet is truly a representative of God or no? And he said, well, if he says something and speaks of something that does not come to pass, you know it's not a prophet of God. And therefore, you don't have to fear him. But yet, as we read about the Lord Jesus Christ, we read about what he did, uh, we read about the things he said, the places he went, the things he did, it was the fulfillment of what God said Messiah would do, who Messiah would be, and what Messiah would say. And so... You, you see, he, he's attaching this back to the, to the history of Moses. He says, you remember Moses told you that there would arise a prophet among you? Him shall ye hear, to him shall hearken. You remember Moses? He gave that message to our fathers based upon what God had told him. And you remember he also told us how to determine whether one was a genuine prophet or no. And how you know whether he is a genuine prophet or no is if uh, what God said is going to happen actually happens. Well, that's exactly who Jesus Christ was. You see, they rejected the role, just like the children of Israel rejected the role of Moses to be a ruler and a deliverer. Even so, the Jews of that day rejected the role of Jesus Christ as the deliverer from their sins. You remember at the birth of Jesus Christ, Matthew one twenty one. Or the announcement, she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So those who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ rejected what? The role that Jesus Christ came to be. He came to be the deliverer of our sin. So we see that Stephen focuses, first of all, on the revelation of God. He focuses on the role of Moses and who Moses would be. God would raise him up to deliver the children of Israel. Even so, God raised up Jesus Christ to deliver us from our sins. But the first, third thing he seeks to emphasize is the rebellion of man. Notice, you see, the children of Israel, as we've read in this chapter, rebelled against Moses... And against God. Notice what they did. Verse 40. They said unto Aaron. Make us gods to go before us. They rejected God. 
You know, you know why they rejected God? Verse 39. To whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them. You see what happens? They thrust Moses from them, and therefore they rebelled against God and made false gods. And so it is with the world today. They reject Jesus Christ, and they worship a false god. Uh, indeed, even those who may be church attenders. They worship a God of their own imaginations. Verse 42, Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch, and of the star of your God, Remphan, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. As we look throughout our text, we think about the rebellion of man, and the rebellion of men is identified in three ways. First of all, we see that they did not understand, the children of Israel, they did not understand that God was going to deliver them by Moses. That's what the Bible says in verse 25. He supposes brethren would have understood how that God would, by His hand, would deliver them, but they understood not. You say, okay, so what's the trouble today? Why do people not believe? And I'll tell you, it is because of this. They do not understand. Now, although they had the revelation through Abraham, Moses is God's messenger, they understood not. That's just like the Sanhedrin council before whom Stephen is standing. They have the scriptures. They know the oracles of God. They've studied them for years. But they do not understand. And that is the great flaw in the world. The world does not understand. The word understood here means to comprehend. It literally means to put something together. To consider. Remember that God had told Abraham in Genesis 15, 13 and 14 that the seed of Abraham would be delivered from that nation that would afflict them. And so they were. And in the same way, the children of Israel did not understand that God would deliver them from their sins through Jesus Christ. It is clear as you study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that the children of Israel were primarily concerned with a physical deliverer. And here is the great trouble in our world. We ask ourselves today, what is the great trouble with the world? Why is the world confused? Why is the world as it is? Why do people behave as they behave? And I'll tell you, it is because they do not understand the Scriptures. They do not uh, put it together. You see... Today, the world is interested in, if you would, being good, in the words of an atheist, without God. And the message of churches today is increasingly becoming, well, let, let me tell you, teach you how to be good and how to uh, get along in this world and, and to do all those things and uh, basically to, do, to be good, uh, to live a good life, to live a life of love. And you really don't need God for that. You see, they had elevated their tradition. You remember what Jesus Christ said about their tradition. He says, you've made the, the law of God of none effect by your tradition. 
You see, the great failure of the world today is uh, uh, the, the philosophy of humanism. Where the atheist says, well, you may be a good person as a Christian, but I can be good too, and I don't need God for that. Well, now churches are promoting the same philosophy of humanism. Everything is about man. Everything is centered upon man, and man is the answer, and we've become a selfish, self-centered, and a, a godless society where, we, where men have been elevated as God. It's not about God of the Bible. It's about your emotions. It's about what you feel about God. It's about what you want to be. And now we not only see that in the world, be what you want to be, but also in churches. Where they say, find your authentic self. Makes me want to throw up. What, what, is, that, what is all that about? It's a self-centered philosophy. We don't need Jesus Christ. We don't need a deliverer. We can solve problems on our own. We don't need anyone else. Oh no, indeed we do need somebody else. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. There is none other name indeed given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name. There is no, understand, uh, no other answer. So here they did not understand. But also what we find in verse 35 is that verse 35, then Moses whom they refused. So first of all, they did not understand. Secondly, they refused the messenger of God, notice, as authoritative. Notice what it says. This Moses whom they refused saying, here it is, this is the question. Who made thee a ruler and a judge? What do they have a problem with? Moses' authority. Notice, the same did God send... <laughs> God sent him to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. And so you see here what, what the Sanhedrin was doing. They said, we reject the authority of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what they kept saying? When Jesus Christ says, go, uh, thy sins be forgiven. And they would whisper to themselves, who hath power to forgive sins but God? By whose authority do you do that? Isn't that what they told Peter as he was preaching the gospel? And he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. And he says, by whose authority are you preaching this? By whose authority are you doing what you're doing? And see, this is the great trouble of the world. What is the trouble of the world? They do not want authority. They do not want somebody over them that says, this is the way. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. They wanted their own way. Remember the famous song, Imagine There Was No Heaven. Imagine all those things that, you know, no, you can be who you want to be. What's that? It's exactly the trouble of the Sanhedrin Council. We do not accept the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Stephen, we do not accept the authority upon which you're preaching this truth today. That's the trouble with the world. That's why we read in the psalm this morning before we started the service that the people of God can only come to God in humility. What's that? Submitting to God's authority. So we see they did not understand. Secondly, they refused the messenger of God as authoritative. By the way, the word refused here means literally to contradict, to disavow. That's what they did with Moses. 
They disavowed Moses. You're not a ruler. You're not going to have authority over us. They did the same with the Lord Jesus Christ, and they did the same with the first century apostles. And guess what? They're doing the same today with the preachers of the Word of God. You have no authority. Just be quiet. See, the scribes and the Pharisees had continually questioned the authority of Jesus Christ. They had also questioned the authority of the apostles preaching Jesus Christ. But there's one more thing we see. Not only did they not understand, they refused. But thirdly, verse 39, to whom, referring to Moses, our fathers would not obey. They would not obey. The things God had committed to Moses. He just talked about here that Moses received the lively oracles of God and they would not obey that. Um, the Bible says in verse 39, to whom our fathers were not obeyed, but thrust him from them. <laughs> that word thrust literally means to push off, to reject, to cast away. And by the way, such is the pattern throughout the pages of Scripture, and such is also the pattern throughout the parade of human history. They don't want to obey, and therefore they wholly reject. That is exactly what Jesus Christ said. You remember what he said? Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. They do not understand. They refuse. As we see, the messenger, they refuse, if you would, the authority. The whole idea today, and by the way, this is, and this is where we're heading a headlong in the wrong direction in this country and all around the world. This self-identity movement is going to be the curse of our nation. Where men refuse the authority of everything but them. But the only way you can be saved if you submit yourself to the authority, the revelation and what God has accomplished in, this person, in, in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on our behalf. They did not understand, they refused, but also they would not obey. You see, this is a good way to identify what, it, what was wrong then. When Stephen was preaching to the Sanhedrin council, it's a good way to identify what went wrong during the time of Moses. But it's also a good way to identify what's going wrong today. The human heart and the condition of man is just the same. And so Stephen makes a point to emphasize what? The revelation of God, the scriptures, the role of Moses, pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ and the role of Jesus Christ. But finally, the rebellion of man. What is the rebellion of man rooted in? They do not understand, they refuse, and they do not obey. They wholly reject. Why? Because they have their own interests and passions at heart. And so the Lord Jesus Christ declared himself to be the only way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to him but through him, comes to the Father, but through him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're not a born-again Christian today, I would encourage you to see yourself as an awful sinner in the sight of a holy God and to recognize that Jesus Christ died and He paid for your sin debt. He paid for your sins in full. 
He was your substitute on the cross of Calvary. And if you repent of who you are and your sinful condition before a holy God and turn in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, look to Him, you can be saved. And the Lord Jesus Christ can change your life. But it will take an understanding, an acceptance, not a refusing, and an obedience, submitting to the authority of the Word of God. Is that difficult? Of course it is. I want you to come and hang around our household for just one week. And I'm going to show you how ingrained in the heart of every single human individual the rising up of the heart that says, I'm not going to submit. And I would invite you to spend one week in our home so I can show you exactly what that looks like. And guess what? The human heart is no different today, even in grown adults. We just know how to hide it a little better. And those in the world have learned to hide it as well. But that's the trouble with the world to this day. Let's pray.